Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. The 10-foot-tall skeletons and fire-breathing pumpkins are back in stock at home improvement stores everywhere. This year, Americans will spend upwards of $3.4 billion to decorate their homes for Halloween. But here in New Orleans, we don't have to decorate. We're just plain old spooky already. From uptown down to the Bywater, there are more ghosts per capita here than anywhere else. Well, honestly, that's a hard stat to pin down. On this year's annual Halloween episode, we're Garden District Ghost Hunting with Kristen Duga before we welcome nationally renowned psychic Carrie Roy, along with ghost-busting equipment-toting Misty Gaither to my home. Well, it's really Angelina Prima's home. Her famous musician son Louie built it for her in 1956, and she apparently still likes to hang around there. And we're stopping off at one of New Orleans' Cities of the Dead with Cemetery Authority, Sally Asher. So grab a cup of witch's brew and let's take off on a ghostly gallivant on this week's Louisiana Eats. In a city as old as New Orleans, you don't have to travel far before you stumble across the supernatural. I think the French Quarter is often where everyone goes for ghost stories, forgetting that the entire city is haunted. That's Kristen Duga, storyteller and native New Orleanian. She leads ghost tours in her home city, operating out of the Quisby Hotel. Her knowledge of our haunted history is enhanced by her own brushes with the paranormal. Louisiana Eats joined Kristen for a tour around the Lower Garden District, kicking things off at her home base, the Quisby. Kristen, how and why did you start this business? I started this business because I'm a journalism major at Tulane. I am a New Orleans native, born and raised here. I love the city of New Orleans. I want everyone else to love the city of New Orleans. And I feel that growing up here, hearing stories from my grandparents and my parents... I want to continue those stories. I want the people here visiting to know all of the reasons that I fell in love with this city. And it's hard to ignore the very haunted past that New Orleans has. So it's my intention to keep those stories alive and share them whenever I can. So we're starting out today at the Quisby. It used to be another old sort of boarding house hotel, wasn't it? It was. It opened in 1924 as the Audubon Hotel. 
And operating in the 1920s, it sort of drew a very interesting clientele, the dredges of society will say. Um, rooms were only $10 a week. So as you can imagine, it had a very colorful cast of people staying there. In fact, in the 1940s, the Audubon Hotel was on the Army's list of forbidden locations. I feel some of the residents that formerly occupied the Quisby are still there. Guests report strange noises, footsteps moving about. I've done a tour of the entire grounds. And there is something as soon as those elevator doors close on you that you just get the sense that someone else is in the elevator with you. When the Quisby got their hands on this location and did some renovations, anytime you move things around, that's when you're going to dust off the past. There was a long-term four-legged resident of the Audubon Hotel, a dog named Jeff. The residents of the Audubon Hotel took a liking to Jeff and so treated him very well. And almost 100 years later, there is rumor that Jeff has not left. I operate ghost tours out of the Quisby, and one rainy night we're huddled by the front door trying to stay dry as I do my introduction, and there is a young gentleman on the corner smoking a cigarette that did a double take at me and my group and asked if dogs were allowed in the hotel. Well, no one on the tour had a dog. And he swore up and down that there was a black dog that had been circling the front door, he thought, waiting for the tour. No dog existed. No one on the tour saw such a dog. And when I relayed that story to one of the bartenders at the Quisby, they confirmed, oh yeah, that's Jeffrey. He's always been here for about a century. Kristen, here we are now, just off of Coliseum Square on Polemnia Street. So tell me what happened to you here. I had the unique experience of being a nanny for a long-term family here, right here on the corner. I was living with them for two years, loved every minute of it. And so I got to know the neighbors in this neighborhood naturally coming and going as if I was a resident here. The building just behind our house was being extensively renovated after Hurricane Katrina. And what I think people forget is the renovations following Katrina didn't always include renovating from the top to the bottom. It often involved renovating from the bottom up. We had to dig, redig those foundations. And when our neighbors were digging deeper into the earth, they found some bones. The city of New Orleans states that we have to halt all construction until we determine if the bones are human or animal. They were human. We were given the green light to continue with the modifications under the understanding if we found more bones, we would have to re-alert the city. Um, more bones were found, but it was decided by the occupants that renovations had been going on long enough, so everyone agreed to put the bones back where they were found and continue as if nothing happened. And about three months after the completion of those renovations, 
things started to happen in the house. It started with small movements. Maybe you possibly misplaced your keys, but then the keys would turn up in parts of the house that made no sense. A spare bedroom closet where there's no way the owner of those keys had gone in the spare bedroom's closet. Furniture would drag itself across the room. You could hear on those old hardwood floors. And yet the next morning, the room would not be in disarray as if nothing had happened. My bedroom window looked directly into one of the spare bedrooms of the house in question, the haunted house. And I was always afraid that I would see what I felt, that my visions would match the atmosphere trying to walk to my room, that cold spot on the back of your neck, hair standing up on your arm. I didn't want to see what was causing it. So I would run down the balcony like a child into my bedroom and avoid looking into that window. How did you get over that? Doing some research because anything can be found at the Tulane Library on St. Charles. We discovered that there was a cult in the 70s that had some odd practices, um, some dark practices that did involve maybe some sacrifice and that one of the spirits in the house was very angry at the renovations that had been made. And so we had to do an exorcism of the property. A voodoo priestess um, came to the property and performed a long ritual that essentially banished the negative spirit in that house to a tree here on Coliseum Square The idea is that the negative spirit would reside in the tree. We would give it offerings, usually tea and cake, to sweeten its disposition. But if the spirit is located in the tree, it cannot do harm to the residents in the house. It can't scare them. So I think it's more manageable when it's in foliage, if that makes any sense. Now, the crazy thing that you said to me was that people would know this tree because it's always decorated for Christmas. Now, what would a dark spirit think about Christmas decorations? I'm hoping that with as much time that has gone by from when this spirit was alive till now, that he's learned to at least coexist with the residents in this neighborhood, and it has come to terms with its new place here on Coliseum Square. Kristen, here we are now at the Hotel St. Vincent. And, of course, old New Orleanians will know this as the St. Vincent's Infants Asylum, right? That is correct. The St. Vincent's Infant Asylum opened in 1864. It was needed because, as most people can recall, there were several bouts of yellow fever here in the city throughout its 300 years, and it left a number of orphans in its wake. So although there were other orphanages around the city, most of them were in the French Quarter, this one offered a little bit more space. As you can see, it's ginormous. Before it was Hotel St. Vincent, it was the St. Vincent Guest House. It was a hostel, so it offered very cheap accommodation. 
if I stayed out, maybe partying a little too hard and didn't want to go into my live-in nanny position the next morning without waking everyone up, I'd buy a room here. I got to know the front desk clerk very well. And we'd stay up late into the evening talking about the history of this place. I'm a history aficionado. I want to know everything. And I had the unfortunate privilege of experiencing some of the former residents here, the children that had passed on here, firsthand. I was sitting at the front desk with the clerk It was around 3 in the morning, the notable witching hour, and the front desk phone started to ring, which jolted us in the middle of the night that this phone is ringing. And I found it very odd that somebody would be calling a hostel at 3 a.m. We ignored it. We continued our conversation. And then the phone rang again. And at this point, I was nervous. I said, if that's your boss, sir, you need to answer that phone. Go ahead. And the clerk almost too casually insisted that, oh, it was just the children. The children are just playing a practical joke. The phone number, the phone that was ringing, was connected to the elevator that actually still works here inside of St. Vincent's. Back in the day, every elevator was operated with a phone system so that they could call throughout the hotel. And the phone call was coming from the elevator, and that particular line had been disconnected for quite some time. Of course, I didn't believe him, so he turns the camera that is operational inside of the elevator to show me nobody was in the elevator at 3 o'clock in the morning making that phone call, and yet there we were hearing the telephone ring. That was slightly disheartening, not going to (laughs) lie. That was a little terrifying if it was me. A little terrifying, but not enough to sway me from spending the night. I had another evening that I opted to stay here because it was during one of the Southeast's notable tropical storms. It was storming. The rain is battering the windows. There was no way that I was driving home. So I had a room on the top floor here at St. Vincent's, and There was a clap of thunder that put the electricity out. I could tell because the clock radio by my bed went off. And directly above me, I heard any parent, anybody with small children, knows that characteristic boom and the pitter-patter of the little scared feet running down the hallway. And I laughed as a nanny. I laughed to myself. Of course, that clap of thunder would have scared anybody. And then I remembered that I was on the top floor. The floor above me is attic space, so that there's no way anyone could have jumped out of a bed and run down a hallway in the attic space. And there was very little sleeping after that realization was made. Kristen, never before have I gotten a ghost tour in the Garden District. Thanks so much for sharing your stories with us. Thank you, Poppy. Thank you so much. That was Kristen Duga, who hosts ghost tours in her native New Orleans. For private tours, contact the Quisby Hotel or find her on Instagram 
using the hashtag TheStubbornStrega. Coming up next, the hauntings get even closer to home. I invite two psychic mediums into my house to try and connect with its previous owner. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets, tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, beans done right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Do your red beans cook up so creamy because they're cooked in Grandma's bean pot? Or is it her wooden spoon that makes them so special? Camellia Brand wants to honor your family's culinary keepsakes during their upcoming centennial. Share your treasures by emailing images and stories to me at poppy at poppytooker.com and we'll make sure you're part of the celebration. I'm New Orleans psychic medium Carrie Roy. I'm Misty Gaither, medium and paranormal investigator. What scares you? I mean, what do you find terrifying? I once read an interview where the author Stephen King said that waking up in a pitch black house, walking into the next room, reaching in to turn on the light, and someone grabbing his hand terrifies him more than anything he's written in his books. Well, that is pretty scary. Often, we think of spirits as they appear in movies. Poltergeist, the Amityville Horror, or the Exorcist. But if there are malevolent spirits, wouldn't there be benevolent spirits as well? There's got to be a yin to that yang, right? Maybe we have angels. When we purchased our new home on Canal Boulevard in New Orleans, my psychic friend, Debbie Duvall, who you may remember from previous Halloween episodes, anyway, Debbie said, oh, the little couple is so happy you're moving in, especially the lady. Now, let me see. What's her name? I think it's Anna. I later learned from my real estate agent that Louis Prima had built the house in 1956 for his mother, Angelina Prima. 
You know, like Angelina the waitress in the pizza parlor. I eat Aunt the pasta twice just because she is so nice, Angelina. But it seems most of the time they called Angelina Anna. When I heard that my friends Carrie Roy and Misty Gaither were conducting paranormal investigations, I asked them over to see what we could find. But first, I wanted to know how these two became a team. Well, it started when Misty and I met, kind of. We met two years ago. Uh, Misty came and got a reading with me, and I could tell that she was gifted. I could tell that she was interested in everything about psychic phenomena, mediumship, the paranormal. And I had not been doing investigations for quite a while. Um, I did a lot of investigations in the early 90s. Um, I did an A&E show back then. I did a documentary back then called New Orleans Rich and Haunted. I did a lot of uh, the paranormal investigations of a lot of the buildings in the French Quarter, hotels, restaurants, etc. And just my life got so busy doing readings one-on-one with clients that I stopped being a part of the paranormal investigation world uh, probably before Katrina, right before Katrina is when I stopped. And Misty was so interested that she reawakened my interest in doing it. And I knew that we would be a great team. And that's how my recollection of how it started is. How about you, Misty? Well, definitely. That's when I started doing official investigations when you and I just started. And I, you know, I just have such a love for the paranormal and I enjoy this journey I'm on trying to find out more and just discover more about the paranormal. Having been told before moving in that there was a spirit in my home, might have given some listeners the heebie-jeebies, but I felt a positive connection with the home. I've never felt any negative energy there. Not all hauntings, not all paranormal phenomenon is negative. On TV, I've done a lot, and it it always puts some negative spin on it, but a paranormal phenomenon can be a house being protected by the former owner who really loved it. Paranormal phenomenon could be that feeling that you have of absolute comfort, absolute welcome, absolute home here. That little sensor you just heard supposedly reveals when a spirit is near. After unpacking their bags filled with all sorts of ghost hunting gear, ranging from that little gem to sensors that track dramatic changes in temperature to what looked like divining rods that might have been used to find water to a smartphone app, of all things. Yes, if you're ghost hunting, there's an app for that. Carrie showed me how to use the divining rods, which were made of copper with right-angled handles. I simply had to hold them in my hands while she asked questions of any spirit who just might be nearby. If you love this house, will you please cross the rods? Please cross the rods in front of you if you love this house. The rods are crossing. It's, it's kind of like a tingle or a vibration almost. 
and then they uncross, and I'm not moving at all. If you lived here between 1900 and 1950, will you please cross the rods? If you lived here between 1950 and 2000, will you please cross the rods? The rods have crossed. Do you know when the house was built? I believe 1956. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like we have whoever was the woman that first lived in this home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now, the other thing that I thought we would do here... Just then, my good dog, Buddy, went into protective mode and started going after the invisible presence. Okay, okay, Bud. He's definitely letting you know something's going on. he is. He's just a little rescue schnoodle. This is Buddy, Poppy's pup. And Buddy, I believe, is sensing that somebody is standing around you. And Buddy is alerting you that somebody's here. It's all right, chum. Pets are very naturally psychic. Their instincts, their senses are so much higher than ours are that they often see things before we get the opportunity to see them. And they'll alert us the same way they would alert us if there was a stranger that actually came into the home. Why don't we go upstairs and see what energy we have? Going from room to room, the psychics explained to me they sensed the presence of my grandmother and my great-grandmother in the house, too. We then rejoined around my dining room table to take a stab at a new tactic something called the Estes Method. I'm going to leave, uh, turn the realm pod on for when we're doing the circle, okay. if that's okay. The person who is blindfolded, that was me in this case, can't hear the questions, only what's coming through the headphones, audio that sweeps AM and FM radio bands, chopping up the signals. Okay, this is how it will sound. This was supposed to put me in tune with the apparitions. As it turns out, the responses I heard quite often coordinated with the questions being asked. It was a surreal experience and, quite honestly, got to the point of being scary. Misty demonstrated how it worked and then passed the earphones to me. I donned the blindfold and headphones and Misty asked the questions. Anne, are you here? Yeah. Anna, are you here? I know. Are you happy that Poppy is here? She's taking great care of your house. Do you watch over the house? Yes. How many spirits total are in the house? Ten. At least ten. Can you give me the names of Poppy's grandmothers? Us. Who is here with us right now at this table? Tell me your name, please. Lane. What keeps you here at the house? How many? Poppy. Oh. Can you say the name of a person in this room right now? Can you give me their name? 
one of two. So both grandmothers are here? Or just one? I think three times I've heard something that distinctly sounds like stop. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> okay. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, she's old. Right. She's uh -huh. like, I don't want to be talking about this all day. Uh -huh. <laughs> and what was really interesting is when I asked what keeps you here at the house, uh -huh. and, it's, and you said Poppy. Oh, yeah. So they like you're here. Yeah. Wow. Spirits stay where they love. In my belief, they have a different perception of time. And so for Angelina, it could feel like she was just here hours ago. And she just loves this place so much that she wants you to know that not only does she have a blessing for you to be here, that she's watching over y'all like almost a security system. That was Carrie Roy and Misty Gaither investigating the paranormal activity in my Canal Boulevard home in New Orleans. If you'd like them to investigate your poltergeists, they can be reached at NewOrleansPsychic.com. Honestly, I was concerned that I'd be scared by something we might discover and become nervous being in my own home. But just like Debbie Duvall had suggested, it turned out everyone who is invisibly keeping company with me in my home are my angels. Angels who are there to protect me. I'm so grateful that Angelina is enjoying my presence here in her house. But I am a little worried about what she thinks of my Creole Italian red gravy. Where does the tradition of Halloween begin? And how did that whole carving the pumpkin thing get rolling? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. But I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry. Their new stuffing mix brings the flavor to your holiday table, available in herbal or cornbread. And their brown gravy and marinade have your turkey covered. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, located 40 minutes north of New Orleans French Quarter along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain, 
the delicious Tammany Taste culinary scene, and abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Fall on Louisiana's North Shore brings outdoor festivals and lots of holiday events. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question, brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Where does the tradition of Halloween begin? And how did that whole carving the pumpkin thing get rolling? The ancient Celts had a fall festival they called Sowin. Sowin was a mystical night when they lit bonfires and donned costumes to scare off ghosts. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as All Saints Day, so the night before became known as All Hallows' Eve, better known in America as Halloween. Now what about that pumpkin? In the old country, the Irish carved turnips into menacing heads and faces that they hid in hedgerows as a prank. When the Irish immigrants of the late 19th century brought their All Hallows' Eve traditions to America, they discovered the pumpkin, which is native to this continent. The pumpkin has since made the trip back across the Atlantic Ocean, where they're carved as jack-o'-lanterns today. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. Holding row after row of the city's famous above-ground tombs, New Orleans cemeteries are veritable cities of the dead. Here lie the remains of denizens, both famous and infamous, as well as everyday people who have played a role in our city's history. Author and historian Sally Asher has long been an authority on New Orleans cemeteries where the tombs are as distinctive as the lives of those interred within them. We met one overcast October morning at Greenwood Cemetery, located at City Park Avenue and Canal Boulevard. Sally, how long have you been fascinated by New Orleans cemeteries and researching these stories? I would say about 10 years. My book on St. Louis cemeteries, St. Louis 1, 2, and 3, came out, I believe, in 2015. And what happened, it's a typical New Orleans story. I was a guest lecturer on the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. They contacted me and they, and they asked me to come in and lecture and do three lectures on New Orleans. And I would get a free cruise to Mexico, which I took. And that was my first time lecturing to people who were not from New Orleans. So when you say, you know, neutral ground or, you, you know, you drop the usual phrases, second line, that you're used to people knowing. 
hands were shooting up in the middle of a lecture. <laughs> so what I found was that people were very curious about the cemeteries. I got a lot of questions about cemeteries, which was not my topic at the time. So when I came back, I started researching the cemeteries and realized there was a lot of books out there about the architecture and a lot of books with beautiful photos of the tombs, but there wasn't a lot of information on the people actually buried in them. And that's what interested me, was who is here, what was their footprint like, you know, what did they do? Often there are these very kind of small hidden tombs that nobody pays attention to that has a wonderful story attached to it. And so I thought, what a shame it was that you can stand in front of some of these masterpieces or, or art. I consider New Orleans cemeteries to basically be an, an outside art museum that's ever-changing with the, with the elements. But I wanted to tell the stories of to people to know and appreciate who was here, what their story was, what they did. Right now, I'm currently working on a book for the symbolism of New Orleans cemeteries, and it's been amazing to look at it with a different eye, with a different viewpoint. So where do we begin? So right now, we are in front of the tomb of Jeannie Tong. I don't think I've ever seen a Buddha in a cemetery. Amongst all the angels, this Buddha tomb uh, that we're standing in front of, Jeannie Tong, lives up to the tomb. The story matches the tomb. Tong was born in China, but his father was born in America. So he came to the States in 1914, and he eventually learned to fly at an academy here. And then he returned to China, and he flew for the China Air Corps for four years before returning to the U.S. So in 1942, he comes to New Orleans after a chance encounter in Houston, where he met his future wife, the burlesque dancer Adra Cooper. Now, she was from St. Louis, and she danced with the famed Minskys, which was known as the top burlesque performers. Now, Cooper was very famous in her own right for doing a snake act dance with her seven bow constrictors. They fell in love, this, uh, this chef from China and this white Caucasian burlesque dancer from St. Louis, and they moved to New Orleans, which they said was their absolute favorite city. So they opened up the Chinatown Cafe on Bourbon Street, and this featured American and Chinese food. Now his wife would be there and she would waitress and she would help out, but she would continue to dance. And then in 1969, he wrote a cookbook that was published by Pelican Press called Chopsticks Unlimited. And Mayor Victor Skiro wrote the introduction for the book. Tong was actually the first Chinese man to be admitted to the Grand Lodge of Masons in Louisiana. So when he died in 1973, um, he had Masonic services. So his wife, who used to like to wear turbans and smoke small cigars, uh, she continued to run the restaurant in the French Quarter until she died in 1980. So that's how we have this Buddha tomb in the middle of Greenwood Cemetery. So this is, I would think, for most visitors, a fairly obscure tomb. Not for locals who have lived here for a while, but we are standing in front of Ruthie Mulan's tomb, also known as Ruthie the Duck Girl. Oh, Ruthie the Duck Girl. What a character she was. I even have 
uh, pictures of her on magnets on my refrigerator. I loved Ruthie. I have a frame poster of Ruthie in my house. So she was born in the French Quarter in 1932, and her mom decided that she wanted to do her hair like Shirley Temple and have her raise ducks. So she raised ducks, and these ducks would follow her around the French Quarter. When she got older, she took to wearing a wedding dress because she had been engaged and allegedly jilted. Now, whether she did the jilting or the gentleman did the jilting, it's not known. And she would roller skate around the French Quarter in a wedding dress, often a fur coat, which you know has got to be difficult in, in New Orleans in this weather, with ducks following behind her. She basically spent her entire life uh, bumming cigarettes and beer. She would say, uh, can you buy a Budweiser for my duck? And a cigarette, cool cigarettes were her favorites for later. I'm How not... does a beggar end up right here? Well, she kind of lived her life as Blanche Dubois. I rely on the kindness of strangers. Uh, Ruthie had many unusual fans, those who took care of her, who took her to doctor's appointments, which she did not want to go to, to make sure that she was fed and, and her lights were on. So chances are that her friends, the ones who took care of her, put her in here to give her a proper burial. God bless Ruthie. Next, we jumped in the car and crossed over I-10 to meet Sally at Metairie Cemetery, located within the New Orleans city limits on Metairie Road. Well, here we are at perhaps one of today's most famous tombs, the fried chicken king, Al Copeland himself. Or infamous, however you want to say that. So. Al Copeland, and I'm sure this was on purpose, when you drive into Metairie Cemetery, this is the first tomb that you will see. The nice big tomb on the left, which is also unofficially known as Millionaire's Row. So Al Copeland was born in New Orleans in 1944. He was the youngest of three sons. His family was very poor. In fact, he spent some time in the St. Thomas Public Housing Project. He never graduated from high school. He left at age 16 and he worked at Schwegman's Grocery. But at 18, he sold his car to buy his first Tasty Donut, which was a local donut franchise at the time. In 1972, he founded Popeye's Chicken in Araby, calling it Popeye's Mighty Good Chicken. No apostrophe in the Popeye's. He later joked that he was too poor to afford an apostrophe. So, Three weeks into it, which is very rare and almost unheard of, the restaurant started turning a profit. And by 1989, he owned the third largest chicken chain in the country. I love that Chris Rose called him our own Elvis, New Orleans' own Elvis. So Copeland was known for his over-the-top lifestyle. Obviously, nobody told him that you can't take it with you. Anybody who lived in New Orleans at the time of Al Copeland's funeral will remember seeing the Lamborghinis, the cigarette boats, all with a somber black ribbon decorating them, but grouped all around his tomb. They had his motorcycles, his boats, his cars packed. His three ex-wives, three out of his four, because one had died, were all here. The funeral director, Jerry Shane, said they were all crying and hugging. Uh, they released 11 doves into the air. 11 was Al Copeland's lucky number and 111 balloons. And it was quite a spectacle for all to see. 
So right now we are standing in front of Ruth Fertel's tomb. She was born in 1927. She graduated from high school at 15, and at the age of 19, she earned her degree in chemistry and physics. So she taught briefly at a junior college, and then she found herself working as a lab technician in 1965, divorced with two sons. So looking for a way to fund her son's college education, by chance she was going through the want ads and saw a restaurant for sale, Chris's Steakhouse. So she mortgaged her home, she got the money, and she bought Chris's Steakhouse on Broad Street. She had no restaurant experience, and at the time, she did everything. She took reservations, she sat customers, she filled in for the dishwasher. Now in 1975, after a fire, she moved the restaurant a few blocks down. But the owner said that he only gave her the rights to the name if it stayed in its original location. So what did she do? she just threw her first name in front of the restaurant, which is Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. So it became this mecca for local politicians. She started her first franchise in 1977, and today there are over 150. So in 1999, her and her friend Lana Duke built this beautiful mausoleum in Metairie Cemetery, which has these double bronze doors, and inside there's a stained glass window of an angel with what was said was Ruth's favorite quote, which is, what a wonderful world. And of course, what did she do? She had an unveiling party for her new tomb, and this is in 1999. The pictures in the newspaper were simply unbelievable. There was a priest out here to bless the tomb. There was a band, and Ruth and Lana danced. Lots of dancing. Unfortunately, she died three years later at the age of 75 in 2002 but there was a 50th anniversary party for her restaurant in 2015. Food, brass band, music, tasting, dancing, again in front of her mausoleum. Oh, Sally, thank you for showing me this tomb. The tomb of Louis Prima. Louis Prima was a local New Orleans musician and trumpeteer, band leader, singer, just all around amazing. He's also known for Yes We Have No Bananas, Angelina, and I love his version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow as well. Here he is, good Italian boy, right here with his mother and father, and how incredible it turns out the house I live in now on Canal Boulevard, Louis built for his mother, Angelina. So I'm so happy to know where her tomb is and get to come and visit her here. On his tomb, which I like to say combines his love of women and jazz, at the top he has Gabriel the Angel, the blowingest angel in the group, blowing a trumpet. And then on the front of his tomb, he has some of the lyrics from his song, Just a Gigolo. So when the end comes, I know they'll say just a gigolo and life goes on without me. Well, Sally, I can't say how much I thank you for ending this incredible tour with my new friends, Angelina Prima and her husband. I can't wait to have a word with her when I go home. I think I might go home and eat a banana in his honor. <laughs> <laughs> no bananas we have no bananas today 
That was Sally Asher, author, historian, and now owner and operator of Red Sash Tours in New Orleans. As you just learned, no one does a cemetery tour quite like Sally. To learn more about her tours, visit RedSashTours.com or check her out on Instagram at RedSashTours. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlo and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.